0: You're tuning into Solanera, a series from Lady Eliz that brings together musicians from around the world to share music, stories, and scholarship with a global audience of early music lovers. I'm your host, Deborah Nagy, and this episode, Phoenix of Mexico, was originally premiered in fall of 2021, and it has always been one of our favorites. This fascinating episode centers on Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, dubbed the Phoenix of Mexico a brilliant writer, philosopher, composer, poet, and nun in seventeenth-century Mexico. Sor Juana wrote for many patrons, but her epic poem, Primero Sueño, was written for herself alone as a true expression of her ambitious vision. Guided and inspired by Sor Juana's poem, this episode brought together bassoonist Catalina Guevara Víquez Klein violinist Karin Quelar Rendon and mezzo-soprano Raquel Winnecke-Young with Les Delis Musicians to celebrate her legacy. Sor Juana was mainly self-educated. As a young person, she worked her way through her grandfather's extensive personal library, she wrote prolifically in Latin, Spanish, and Nahuatl, and she gathered together intellectual elites in her own personal salon within the convent of Santa Paula of the Hieronymite Order in Mexico City. Sor Juana's insatiable intellectual appetite also made her an outspoken advocate for women's personal, intellectual, and religious independence. She was a feminist way ahead of her time. Known by many names, including the 10th Muse and the Phoenix of Mexico, Sor Juana inspired intellectuals and composers well beyond her circle, as her writings, which included poetry, dramas, philosophy, and music, traveled throughout Latin and South America, as well as to Europe. Championed by Mexican writer Octavio Paz in the 20th century, Sor Juana became a national symbol in Mexico as a woman, writer, and religious authority, even appearing on Mexico's 200 peso bill. Sor Juana's epic poem, Primero Sueño, is a philosophical and descriptive Silva that explores the subconscious, the conscious, and the thirst for knowledge. In this episode, the conversation and musical performances trace the poem's architecture as we celebrate its author's musical, spiritual, and intellectual legacy. We'll begin, as Primero Sueño does, with The Dream, which subsequently inspires contemplation, where we'll consider Sor Juana's quest for knowledge and her engagement with science and theory, We'll then explore being, including Sor Juana's humanity and relationships before returning to consciousness or awakening, where it is revealed that Sor Juana herself is both the author and the subject of the poem. All the music you'll hear was recorded specifically for this episode. We'll hear the single confirmed composition by Sor Juana herself, as well as works by Guatemalan composer Rafael Castellanos. Bolivian composer Andres Flores, and Andean composer Antonio Durán de la Mota. As much of this music is not readily available. We remain indebted to Bernardo Hilari, professor of music at University of North Texas, for sharing his knowledge and scores with us. Musical arrangements were created by Catalina and Alex Klein, and 10 musicians from across the Western Hemisphere representing Bolivia, Colombia, Costa Rica, Argentina, Chile, Panama, the U.S. and Canada came together to create these performances. A special welcome to our featured guests for Phoenix of Mexico, mezzo-soprano Raquel Winnecke-Young in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Catalina Guevara Víquez-Klein in Calgary, Alberta, and Karine quellar in Montreal, Quebec. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. It is great to have you here and to be able to talk about Sor Juana.
1: We are also glad to be here, Deborah. Thank you so much for putting this episode together and for, for putting us all together.
0: Indeed. Yeah, I love the way that Salanira has the potential to bring us together, sometimes for the first time, mm-hmm. to talk about our passions. And... I know that you all have a shared passion in Sor Juana, and it was you, Catalina, who actually proposed the topic for this episode. And so for each of you, uh, but maybe starting with Catalina, what was your first encounter with Sor Juana and what is it about her life and work that resonates with you?
2: Well, for me, so I was a teenager uh, in, at the French school in Costa Rica, so I was 17. And as part of the literature class, uh, we had to analyze a poem by Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. At that moment, the poetry of Sor Juana was a calling for my intellect. Uh, It was something else, like her way of putting words together and her rhetoric and all her creativity was something new to me. And Sor Juana uh, remained like, oh, this is a woman of genius, and I want to remember these persons forever. What part of her life resonates with me? Well, her desire to learn. So Juana was always looking for knowledge everywhere. And the way she connected information to create more knowledge and to create more content, that is the part of her that resonates with me. So religion and wisdom were together for her, but she also cared about science, mathematics, poetry, Mm -hmm. philosophy, music. So uh, when I... when I think about the 4,000 books she recollected in her own library, well, it's in her desire to learn that she was also advocating for all women to have access to more knowledge education. and education, yeah.
0: And Karin, how about for you, what was your first encounter with Sor Juana and what resonates for you and her work?
1: What actually fascinates me about Sor Juana is, um, well, similar to what Catalina says, is is this drive, this forward-looking mentality. Uh, by putting herself in a self-prescribed position of authority, she was able to defend all women's rights to formal education, and mm-hmm. in, in this way serve as an intellectual authority uh, through writing and publication. She, by doing that, she was also able to transcend all these dominant historical forces of the conquest, the colonialism, inquisition, and patriarchy. Um, and that is just fascinating. You know, it's, yeah. it's this figure, uh, that, um, lives with us all. And as, uh, just like Catalina, my first encounter with her was when I was in, in school, in middle school. Um, yeah, through her famous poem, which you will hear later, Hombres Necios, in which, mm-hmm. you know, she's showing this very forward, uh, uh, looking mentality. And she's already in this, in the 17th century, um, denouncing hypocrisy of men, patriarchy, you know, in their mm-hmm. expectations of women. So, um, yeah, this was the part that fascinated me, how someone had the, the will to make herself uh, be heard.
0: I look forward to hearing Hombres Necios at the, at the end of our program. Raquel, finally, I have the, the same question for you, and you're so engaged in particular recently with, with texts and, and texts of golden age uh, Spanish writing. What was your first encounter with Sor Juana, and what about her work resonates with you?
3: Well, my first encounter was my mother reciting poems uh, for mm-hmm. me at home. Uh, not knowing where they were coming from. And then I, I realized, you know, in school, like, like Catalina and Karin, like this this, um, this person exists. Uh, Sor Juana is very well known in, in Latin America and South America. So we studied her in school um, in the 90s. There was a movie in Argentina mm-hmm. made uh, about her. Um, and what what resonates to me is the fact that she was true to herself. And like my friends here, the, her insatiable desire for knowledge, but also not, o- not only the knowledge of, of science, which of course was ahead of her time for her to go for it, but, but the understanding of the human soul, the, just her sensitivity and, and, and her brilliancy in, into the words. And then I re-encountered her again recently when I started studying li- Spanish linguistics and Latin American linguistics and, and art. In
0: a moment, we'll hear Madre de los Primores, which is the one piece of music by Sor Juana that survives uh, today in Guatemala Cathedral archives. And at the opening of this piece, Raquel, you chose to uh, recite some verses from Primero Sueño. Um, And I wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit, telling us what this passage evokes in terms of images and how this piece relates in your mind to the theme that we have tonight of Primero Sueño.
3: Yes, certainly. So there are two reasons for me. Um, at the beginning of, of the poem, the part that we are not reciting is pyramidal. She, she chooses, uh, words that are extremely slow and bring us into that space right before we fall asleep, in which only the creatures of the night are protecting us. Everything is silent and slow. And there is a huge connection with this beginning of Madre de los Primores, right? Its pace, the slowness, we very slowly fall into that space that she takes us in the poem as well. And then there is another aspect of Primero Sueño, The moment we chose to to recite is is the one in which she talks about the the first cause, the primera causa, which for her is the creation of all essence, the beginning of everything, and her love and devotion for God and and religion. So this also, this, um, this devotion is seen and heard in Madre de los Primores as well.
0: Fantastic. Let's listen. Y
3: según Homero, digo la sentencia: las pirámides fueron materiales, tipos solos, señales exteriores de las que dimensiones interiores, especies son del alma intencionales. Que como suben piramidal punta al cielo la ambiciosa llama ardiente, así la humanamente su figura trasunta, y la causa primera siempre aspira, céntrico punto donde recta tira la línea. Si llano circunferencia que contiene infinita toda esencia.
0: for such a beautiful and, and impassioned performance.
3: Thank you, thank you. It's such an honor to be part of all of these. You
0: know, following the dream at the opening of Primero Sueño, uh, we find ourselves somewhere between sleep and consciousness. Mm-hmm. And in a moment, we'll hear um, "Pues mi Dios, ha nacido a penar" by Castellanos. And I wondered what the images are in that piece that resonate with you uh, in relation to Primero Sueño.
3: So yes, as you mentioned, we we were just about to fall asleep, and now starting from verse one ninety eight, which is what we did for this next section, Juana Ines talks about the separation that happens between the body and the soul, and she calls it a cadaver with the soul. Uh, so we we rehearse the de- dying when we fall asleep in Pues mi Dios. There is also a separation. There are two statements, two clear thoughts. God was born to live in sufferance. Let him be awake. But he is awake because of me. Let him sleep. So this constant pull and push is reflected in in that part of the poem of Sor Juana. Because once again, who is capable of sleeping in this dream is rehearsing to die.
0: So let's uh, take a moment now and listen to Pues Midios, and um, we get all of this tension uh, between sleeping and wakefulness.
4: Amen. Mm-hmm. Y al mover mis culpas no quiere los ojos abrir. ¿Qué?
0: both of you for a beautiful performance, Pues mi Dios. Absolutely gorgeous. Primero Sueño. It is amazing for me to read for the first time in translation and be confronted with so much imagery, um, as well as kind of display of knowledge, which was not so unusual in a way as to establish legitimacy for any writer in early modern times. But it's sprinkled through with references to Homer, to uh, Greek mythology of all sorts, to um, you know referring the, to the pyramids of ancient Egypt and the symbols about eagles, and, and even reflecting on what was then kind of modern science. Um, and uh, ideas about medicine and the four humors and all of that. I wondered, Karin, if you might uh, talk a little bit about what we know about Sor Juana's engagement with um, not just musical but also scientific writings.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, Sor Juana was an avid learner since she was very small, right? Um, it is known that by age four, she was already bilingual in Latin and Spanish, and she also mastered Nahuatl, um, mm-hmm. an Aztec language. Um, something that I wanted to mention, in in since we are talking about the pursuit of knowledge, is that when she was 16 years old, she wanted to join a university, which it was a privilege only reserved for men, and allegedly she asked her mom to dress herself as um, as man, so then she could guy's herself as a male mm-hmm. student to be able to attend university, was well, she, she couldn't. You know, this, this goes to tell you how hungry for knowledge she was. Um, right. Already Catalina mentioned that she possessed this vast uh, library, but uh, mm-hmm. something that wasn't mentioned is that she taught herself uh, before entering the convent uh, with the library of uh, her grandfather. And she decided to enter the convert to become a nun. So then not to have, and this is quoting from one of her letters, to have no fixed occupation, which might curtail my freedom to study, quote. Mm. So, you know, this is someone that um, was putting knowledge above everything else. It's very difficult to to really gasp, you know, how much she, mm-hmm. she actually nurtured her, herself. So, yes, and from from the remnants of her library then uh, that she was, she had to give up at the end of her life. We know that um, she had access to Neoplatonic hermeticism writers like uh, Tanasus uh, Kircher and also other uh, philosophers like Descartes and Gassendi. But something that is very, very interesting for me and more relevant maybe is for us musicians is her access to writings of music theoricians. Such mm-hmm. as Lorente, Mersenne, Salino, and Cherone, um, which you know we can actually see in her work. And if Madre de los Primores uh, is uh, you know one of her works, we can trace this to Cherone's writings. So then, you know, it's not surprising that with all this knowledge, uh, besides you know all all the science that she was um, uh, learning and, and and reading about, she decided to write a treatise, a musical treatise. Mm-hmm. Um, which she titled El Caracol, in which, uh, well, she combined both knowledge of math and science and music. And um, she proposed in this treatise that musical harmony should be conceived as a spiral instead of a circle. Um, she also intended to simplify music notation and solve the problems uh, the Pythagorean tuning posed. Well, this, yeah, so, you know, you can see how this <laughs> mind was working beyond... Uh, yeah why we, we can actually gasp right now. Um, right. Well, unfortunately, this treatise got lost, but there are some of um, these uh, excerpts of, of this treatise found in some of her romances, like, for example, Después de Estimar Mi Amor, catalogas MP21. And in other works, too, in villancicos in Loas, in which she talks about uh, musical harmony composition and questions about temperament. But it's quite um, interesting because at the end she... she refers to someone very known, which is Elvira Sola, anyways.
0: Well, this eternal search for knowledge and and this very ambitious type of acquisition of knowledge, just not in, in books, but in, in ideas, is something that really is important in Primero Sueño. There's a, a point in the poem at which actually this sense of kind of overreach is, is symbolized by... Uh, um, actually the character of Icarus sort mm-hmm. of flying too close to the sun and getting in trouble. And in the next section of Primero Sueño, we've been talking about all this lofty stuff of the transcendence of the soul and pursuit of knowledge on this extraordinarily high level. In the next section, we talk about being and the kind of human and the human relationship. So I thought it was an opportunity, Catalina, in particular, if you could speak about um, Sor Juana's relationships here on earth in particular because uh, going into the convent means that you are not going to marry.
2: (laughs) Well, okay, so it's important to understand that Sor Juana celebrated women as the place of reason and knowledge, not necessarily passion. Mm. So this is really revolutionary, so reason and knowledge, women. Okay, so the convent Mm. was good for her because there she could study, She could write. She she can even teach at some point. Mm -hmm. So she had an understanding about biblical, philosophical, but also mythological sources. So to be human for Sor Juana means to continue to learn and to celebrate knowledge as part of life. So in her relationships, it's important to understand that her father was an absent figure since the beginning. And the patronage of the viceroys and vicereine of New Spain helped her to maintain. So it was the convent, but also she got very mm-hmm. famous uh, on her milieu and because she was so smart. And so she got protected, and she got protected by by important women, Dona Eleonora del Carreto and Maria mm-hmm. Luisa Manrique de Lara y Gonzaga, for example. So this patronage was very important for her, freedom, because freedom means she could continue to learn, she could continue to write, she could continue to create things. And at some point, she became very dangerous for the religious authorities. Once she established that human art, philosophy, science were necessary to understand theology and to understand the world as we know it. So those relationships at Sor Juana, even when she was very young, it seems like she got some, you know, invitations to marriage. But she said, no, because marriage will mean that, okay, she will have to abide somebody. And so religion was her way to f- be free. The convent was a protection, but she looked for that protection in other places, like the patronage and stuff.
0: The next piece that we're going to hear is uh, Dios y Joseph Apuestan. Um, this is by uh, Antonio Duran de la Mota. It's a work that's preserved in Sucre, Bolivia. And it's, Avianzico for Christmas. And so I wondered, Raquel, if you could talk to us about why you chose it and how um, it relates to our theme.
3: Yes, absolutely. So it relates to these um, two putting together points of being human is to to be the hinge, to be in touch with the supreme, but also to be dust. So my connecting point uh, was the fragment that starts in verse 652, where Sor Juana talks about the characteristics of being human. Uh, She establishes that that we possess three souls combined uh, that makes us this hinge, the bisagra, the hinge and connection with God. Uh, We possess the intellect and imagination, but at the same time, we are dust, we are low creatures, and besides the five senses, we possess three faculties, memory, comprehension, and will. So Dios y José shows exactly this in a humorous way, right? The godly and the earthly, uh, the, the betting ideas between God and José about Mary, and but at the end there is no winner. Both substances are important and and poignant.
0: Wonderful. Let's listen to Dios y José. Did This is such an exciting time for Les Delices and Solanera. Les Delices is in the midst of its 15th anniversary season and our fourth season of Solanera. The episode you're enjoying today, Phoenix of Mexico, was created during the height of the COVID 19 pandemic in the fall of 2021. This episode is full of heart and passion, and the remotely produced musical collaborations were some of the most ambitious the series has attempted. 10 musicians from across the Western Hemisphere, representing Bolivia, Colombia, Costa Rica, Argentina, Chile, Panama, the US, and Canada, came together to create these performances. Thanks so much for being a part of our global community of music lovers as a listener to Solanira. With your support, we can continue to collaborate with engaging artists from across the country and around the world. You can support Salon Era by subscribing to this podcast and by donating at salonera.org. Your donations make every episode possible. Thanks again for supporting Les Delis and Salon Era by listening and subscribing to this podcast. Now let's return to our conversation with Catalina, Raquel, and Karine. Bravo, that is so very fun. As we arrive to the end of the journey, of Primero Sueño, the final part of the poem, you defined as awakening. And I wondered how the nature of the poetry changes, Raquel.
3: So if we remember, uh, at the beginning, everything was slow with Madre de los Primores. Mm -hmm. And then now towards the end, the rhythm of the words moves fast. Um, It is very resonant. It talks about musical instruments, such as posinas, like curved and hollow, uh and brings in the birds and the trumpet like sounds uh there is a clear battle uh of the day coming to conquer over the night mm. and which retreats to the other end of the earth to make the other half fall asleep now so that is the mm-hmm. the cycle that that we chose so uh that is how we understand this life right mm-hmm. um so something very important at the end uh and very very poignant to me is that she says the last words the world illuminated the world enlightened mm-hmm. and i awake and myself mm-hmm. awake so no one else than Sor juana is the protagonist of this mm-hmm. journey that was primero Sonia.:
0: i think we have your recitation of the final verses to share
3: Consiguió al fin la vista del ocaso, el fugitivo paso, y en su mismo despeño recobrada, esforzando el aliento en la ruina, en la mitad del globo que ha dejado el sol desamparada, segunda vez rebelde determina mirarse coronada. Mientras nuestro hemisferio, la dorada, ilustraba del sol madeja hermosa, que con luz judiciosa de orden distributivo, repartiendo a las cosas visibles sus colores iva, y restituyendo entera a los sentidos exteriores su operación, quedando a luz más cierta, el mundo iluminado, y yo despierta.
0: So the next piece that we're going to listen to is A de edificio célebre by Andres Flores, who's a Bolivian composer writing in the first half of the 18th century, which is to say, I don't know, 50 or so years um, after the death of Sor Juana. So I wonder a few things about this viencico. Obviously, her poetry is, is still being set at this late date all throughout uh, Latin and as well as South America. And so how would this music have been heard or what kind of context? Did, how was it that her poetry is still being set to music? And, and how is it that this music survives uh, for us to this day?
1: Yes, so um, this genre that was used uh, by Andres Flores, de Villancico, is a Spanish genre. Andres Flores uh, was a composer in the first half of the 19th century, but he belongs to a long tradition of Mm. Spanish composers. Uh, Andres Flores is a Criollo composer born from Spanish uh, ancestors. And before him, um, we had Juan de Araujo as the Maestro de Capilla in La Plata. Andres Flores never got to be uh, Maestro de Capilla, but he was a choir boy in, uh, in Juan de Arojo's choir. So he learned from him the Spanish tradition. So this genre, the, the villancico, um, is not just a Christmas carol, as we mm-hmm. may think, it's a song of the village. That's what means villan or villano, villancico. It was performed at any festivity of the office during the, the liturgical calendar year. Um, With text from the village that was the, the basis of this genre. So then Andrés Flores' Este edificio Celebre, for example, is a Villancico composed for this uh, holy sacrament uh, festivity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we don't know much about the performance practice of Villancicos, but what we know from the descriptions of Villancico performances tell us that there was no doubt as the transformation of the congregation from being a part of the celebration of the mass to an audience member. So the, mm. the Villancicos were performed at the end of the service. And, you know, we know that, for example, in the Iberian Peninsula in, in Spain, uh, Villancico audiences were rowdy and, and noisy and reacted to, you know, to all mm. the Villancicos and, and clapped. So we may expect that this also happened in the Americas. And during the colony, in colonial territory, the circulation of music, the circulation of writings was so fluent that I would dare to say that uh, the writings of Sor Juana arrived to La Plata, arrived to Potosí fairly after her death or maybe during her lifetime. Mm-hmm. We know that the Viceroy and viceroy of uh, Mexico City, of Viceroyalty of New Spain, they, they were her patrons and they paid for the publishing of some of her mm-hmm. works.
0: Let's listen now to uh, Andres Flores's A Este Edificio Celebre.
2: To add that it's it's clear that uh, Sor Juana is teaching us how to decolonize. With Edificio Celebre is the great example of how we should decolonize. Edificio Celebre, we we think that it could be a cat a cathedral or the religious authority, but it's not. Edificio is her work, is her art, and she wants her voice to be listened from the Arctic to the Antarctic. That is what she's saying Mm -hmm. to us. So edificio is, is her poetry. So remember that I said that she wanted women to be connected to knowledge and, and reason, mm-hmm. but she had a passion and passion was poetry. And the way she connects all the words and makes is teaching us how to decolonize. And that's what I love from this music.
0: That's so fantastic and a great transition actually to returning to some of these themes that we talked about at the very opening mm-hmm. of Sor Juana as, as essentially sort of a proto-feminist And I'm reminded a little bit of another amazing woman writer from 250, 300 years earlier, Christine de Pizan, writing The City of Ladies and advocating for knowledge and for kind of women's intellectual and emotional and financial independence. And so Karine, you had offered to read to us from Hombres Necios.
1: Hombres necios que acusáis a la mujer sin razón, sin ver que sois la ocasión de lo mismo que culpáis. Si con ansia sin igual solicitáis su desdén, ¿por qué queréis que obren bien si las incitáis al mal? Combatís su resistencia y luego con gravedad decís que fue liviandad lo que hizo la diligencia. Parecer quiere el denuedo de vuestro parecer loco al niño que pone el coco y luego le tiene miedo. ¿Queréis con presunción necia hallar a la que buscáis para pretendida caís. Y en la posición, Lucrecia. ¿Qué humor puede ser más raro que el que falto de consejo, él mismo empaña el espejo y siente que no está claro? Con el favor y el desdén tenéis condición igual, quejando si os tratan mal, burlando ocios si quieren bien. Opinión ninguna gana, pues la que más se recata, si no os admite, es ingrata. Y si os admite, es liviano. Siempre tan necios andáis, Que con desigual nivel, A una culpáis por cruel, Y a otra por fácil culpáis. Pues cómo ha de estar templada La que vuestro amor pretende, Si la que es ingrata ofende, Y la que es fácil, enfada. Mas entre el enfado y pena Que vuestro gusto refiere, Bien haya la que no os quiere, Y queja enhorabuena. Dan vuestras amantes penas a sus libertades alas, y después de hacerlas malas, las queréis hallar muy buenas. ¿Cuál mayor culpa ha tenido en una pasión errada, la que cae de rogada o el que ruega decaído? ¿O cuál es más de culpar, aunque cualquiera mal haga, la que pega por la paga? o el que paga por pecar? Pues, ¿para qué os espantáis de la culpa que tenéis? Queredlas cual las hacéis, o hacedlas cual las buscáis. Dejad de solicitar, y después con más razón acusaréis la afición de la que os fuera a rogar. Bien con muchas armas fundo que lidia vuestra arrogancia, pues en promesa e instancia
0: I wondered if anyone had any last words before we hear our last piece about uh, Sor Juana's legacy and influence.
3: I just would like to say that um, she has enlightened centuries and she just lived in Mexico. She entered the convent. She never left. She's buried there and regardless, all this world that she created that made it certainly a better place to live. And it's amazing how much now she is being revisited and now we understand more and more and she's better known all over the
2: world. I also want to say that if Sor Juana was in love, she was in love with her freedom and she was in love with knowledge. And at the end, She gave up in a way that Mm -hmm. she set us free to all women. She wrote in her own blood, I, the worst of all. So she had to sacrifice her freedom at the very end, but she's also sending us a message to all women. The message is so powerful because we, as women, we understand very well every time we hear, I,
0: the worst of all. Powerful, powerful words. Our last song is Fuego, Fuego by Antonio Duran de la Mota. And the message is if we don't change the world, uh, the temple will be in flames both inside and out, which I think is an important message for us all, whether 300 years ago or today. Mm-hmm. Let's listen. Yeah. Lidilis and Solanira are excited to go inside the Goldbergs for our next Solanira session, performed live in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, on Saturday, February 17th at 3 p.m., and recorded for release online in March. This 75 minute concert and conversation brings together harpsichordist Mark Edwards and pianist Dror Viran to explore Bach's momentous work and consider the unique challenges and opportunities that Bach's music has for us all. Our show will also include images from a rare first edition of the Goldberg Variations, an interview with renowned Bach scholar Michael Morrison, and a live video feed that enables everyone a close-up view of the magic happening at the keyboard. We're proud to collaborate with the Riemann Schneider Bach Institute at Baldwin Wallace University and Piano Cleveland for this event. If you're in Northeast Ohio, on Saturday, February 17th, join us to listen and learn as our featured guests share gorgeous music and fascinating insights in a casual setting at the Heights Theater in Cleveland Heights. Admission is free and no reservation is required. Details are at ledelise.org. Composers and audiences have long been fascinated by the extraordinary musician Orpheus, his trip to the underworld, and the human foibles that ensure his story ends in tragedy. Tune in on Monday, February 26th, as we premiere Orpheus Revisited featuring beautifully recorded performances of music by Rameau, Courbois, and Jonathan Woody from Lady Lisa's digital catalog, paired with fresh interviews with artists Hannah DePriest, Jonathan Woody, and scholar Susan McClary. Have you listened to Lady DeLise's other podcast, Music Meditations? Music Meditations combines poetry and music to bring soul-soothing and life-affirming art into your day. Featuring classic and contemporary poetry by Northeast Ohio writers, along with curated performances from Les DeLise's live performance archives, each bite-sized episode concludes with prompts for mindfulness or guided listening. To listen, search Music Meditations wherever you found this podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Solanira. This episode was created by me, Executive Producer Deborah Nagy, Associate Producer Shelby Yaman, and Hannah DePriest, our scriptwriter and special projects manager. It originally aired in fall 2021 as part of Solanera's second season. Our featured guests were mezzo soprano Raquel Winnipeg Young, violinist Karin rendon and bassoonist Catalina Viquez Klein. Support for ERA comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, Cuyahoga Arts and Culture, the Ohio Arts Council, and audience members like you. Solanera's season sponsors are Deborah Malamud, Tom and Marilyn McLaughlin. Greg Nosen and Brandon Rude and Joseph Sopko and Betsy McIntyre. This episode featured musical performances of music by Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, Rafael Castellanos, Antonio Durán de la Mota, and Andrés Flores. A filmed version of this episode is available to Salon Era members. Visit salonera.org and you can get full performance details as well as learn more about the music and information shared in this and any episode. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show.